Welcome back, friends. The hope is a prayer away. I am your host, Pastor JJ. And before we descend on today's Bible study, I would like to remind you that if you're joining us for the first time, that all of my Bible studies are for free for you to download and copy. And all of my Bible studies come with no strings attached. There's no registration requirements. There's no email requirements. There's no subscription fees. Uh, there's no thumbs up, there's no liking, um, and you will never pay a penny for any of the Bible studies as our Lord and Savior paid the price on Calvary for all of us. My only goal with this podcast and with the website is to hopefully connect you with Christ Jesus. That's it. If you visit our website, we do have a voluntary contact form. And that's only if you would like to receive my latest Bible study before it gets posted to our website, but it's 100% voluntary. Our website is www.hopeisaprayerway.com. That's www.hopeisaprayerway.com. Now let's get into the Word of God today. And in today's Bible study, we are going to study the doctrine of soterology. So let us define the doctrine of soterology. The biblical doctrine of salvation is technically called soterology. And understood actively, salvation is the total work of God in bringing men from the state of sin to the state of glory through Christ Jesus, the God-man. And in the former state of men, they were spirit- we were spiritually dead and subject to divine wrath. In the latter, they are under God's grace and experiencing eternal life. Thank you, Lord. Understood passively, salvation is the total present and future enjoyment by true believers in Christ, of God's self-giving through His Son. Of the many Hebrew words used to signify salvation, yaza, to save, help in distress, rescue, deliver, and set free, that's what it means in the Hebrew, appears most frequently in the Old Testament. And in the new the and the word salvation in the Greek is a Greek word soteria, and it's derived from sozo and soter, which means savior. Soteria means savior saves. So in biblical terms, soteria is the act of the savior, God, that made provisions for deliverance, restoration, preservation and salvation for mankind. Now let us look at the meaning and the scope of salvation. Even a casual look at the world quickly reveals man's condition in sin and the awful flight in which this falling condition has left him in. Furthermore, it is a condition against which mankind is completely helpless when left to his own human resources. Now, in spite of all of man's expectations of a new society 
in which he is able to bring about peace and prosperity, the world remains shattered and torn by the ravages of sin locally, nationally, and internationally. Now the Bible speaks, however, of God's gracious plan to provide a solution to man's problems. And we call it salvation or soteriology. And now one of the one of my biblical Hall of Famers, uh, Dr. Charles Caldwell Ryrie, writes, Soteriology, the doctrine of salvation, must be the grandest theme in the scriptures. It embraces all of the time. It embraces all of the time as well as the eternity past and future. It relates in one way or another to all of mankind, without exception. It even has ramifications in the sphere of angels. It is a theme of both the Old and the New Testaments. It is personal, national, and cosmic. And it centers on the greatest person, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, according to the broadest meaning as used in Scripture, the term salvation encompasses the total work of God by which He speaks to rescue man from ruin, doom, and the power of sin, and bestows upon him the wealth of His grace, encompassing eternal life, provisions for abundant life, and now eternal glory. And these scriptures can be found in Ephesians 1, 3 through 8, Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10, 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 5, John 3, 16, John 3, 36, and John 10, 10. Now the word salvation is, a, is the translation of a Greek word soteria, which we've spoken about a little while ago which is derived from the word soter, meaning Savior. The word salvation communicates the thought of deliverance, safety, preservation, soundness, restoration, and healing. In theology, however, its major use is to denote a work of God on behalf of men, and such, it is a major doctrine of the Bible which includes redemption, reconciliation, propitiation, conviction, repentance, faith, regeneration, forgiveness, justification, sanctification, preservation, and glorification. There's a lot of Asians there, huh? And in... And on the one hand, salvation is described as the work rescuing man from his lost state. And on the other hand, salvation describes the estate of man who has been saved and who is vitally renewed and made a partaker of the inheritance of the saints. Now, what was the motivations for salvation? As we look at the stubbornness and the rebellion of men, we must ask the question, why should God want to save sinners? And especially, why would he want to give his unique and beloved son to die the agony of God's holy judgment and bearing 
our sins on the cross. But Scripture's answer is that salvation redounds the glory of His grace. Salvation brings glory to God, and it does so because it manifests the nature and character of His person. That can be found in Ephesians 1.6 and Philippians 2, verses 11. Now, salvation reveals a number of things about God that bring glory to the person of God and shows us something of the reasons for salvation. Number one, it reveals his love. That God would reach out to sinful man by sending his only begotten son is the greatest manifestation of his love. It also declares God provided salvation because he is a living God. He is a loving God. And in John 3.16, 1 John 4, 7 through 10, and 1 John 4, verse 16, that can be found. Secondly, salvation through the person and work of Christ is also a manifestation of God's grace and the non-meritorious favor of God. That's found in Ephesians 2, verse 7 through 9. And you know, friends, it's funny that only Christianity offers a salvation based on grace rather than works. All of the other religions in the world have man working to acquire salvation. Point number three. The salvation of the Bible also manifests the holiness of God. For you see, God provided salvation through the person and work of His Son because He is a holy God. His love and grace, God desired fellowship with man, but man's rebellion and sin created a barrier between God and man that hindered any fellowship with man whatsoever because of God's infinite holiness. Both God's holiness and his love are satisfied. However, by the person and work of God's Son, so that man can be reconciled to God and fellowship can be restored. Point number four. Now Adam and Eve were created in the image of God that they might be the they might give a visible display of God's character as they walked in fellowship with the invisible God. But when the human race fell through Adam's sin, the image was not only marred, but man lost the capacity for fellowship with God. Through salvation, the capacity for fellowship is restored and also is man's ability to manifest through imperfectly the goodness of God. Now we want to consider that there are three phases of salvation, or tenses, if you will. Salvation in Christ, which begins in eternity past, according to the predetermined plan of God, and extends into the eternal future, has three observable phases in the Bible. And understanding this truth can relieve a lot of tension from the standpoint of security 
and enable the believer to relax in the Lord and his grace while simultaneously moving forward in spiritual growth. Let us examine phase one. Phase one, this is the past tense of salvation, saved from sin's penalty. And, in, and we look at several passages of scripture that speak of salvation as holy past or as accomplished and completed for the one who has believed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The aspect views the believer as a deliverer once and for all from sin's penalty and spiritual death. Luke 7, 50, 1 Corinthians 1, 18, 2 Corinthians 2, 15, Ephesians 2, 5, and Ephesians 2, 8, Titus 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 5, Hebrews 7, 25, and 2 Timothy 1.9. You can find all of those scriptures. And uh, they'll speak uh, how God has delivered once and for all man from sin's penalty and spiritual death. So complete and perfect is the word of God in Christ that the believers declared permanently saved and saved forever. And those verses are John 5.24, John 10.28, and verse 29 as well. Romans 8.1, Romans 8, verses 37 through 39. And it can also be found in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 5. Now let's move along to phase number 2. And this is the present tense of salvation and has to do with the present deliverance over the reigning power of sin or carnal nature's power in the lives of believers. And those verses can be found in Romans 6, 1 through 23, Romans 8 and verse 2, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, Galatians 2, verses 19 through 20 Galatians 2 or Galatians 5 and verses 1 through 26 and in Philemon 119 Philemon 2 verses 12 through 13 and the second Thessalonians verse 2 or chapter 2 verse 13 this phase of salvation in Christ is accomplished through the ministry of the indwelling spirit, but it is based on the work of Christ and the believer's union and co-identification with Christ in that work. Moving right along, we're going to go to phase three. And upon the merit and the work of God in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the future tense of salvation, which refers to the future deliverance all believers in Christ will experience through a glorified resurrected body. It contemplates that though once and for all saved from the penalty of sin and while now being delivered from the power of sin, the believer in Christ will yet 
be saved into full conformity to Christ Jesus. Those verses can be found in Romans 8, 29, Romans 13, verses 11, 1 Peter 1, verse 5, 1 John 3, verse 2. And, they, and recognizes and shows that the Christian in his experience never becomes perfect in this life. That's found in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14. And that full conformity to the character of Christ, experientially speaking, awaits ultimate glorification. However, the fact that some aspects of salvation for the one who believes are yet to be accomplished in no way implies that there is ground for doubt as to the outcome of eternal salvation because all these three phases are dependent. I want to talk to you now a little bit about what is the nature of salvation as the work of God. Salvation is the free gift of God to man by grace through faith completely aside from human works. And I want to touch on that a little bit. Salvation is the free gift of God to man by grace, nothing that we can do. It's his giving. And we, and we accept it, we obtain it by having faith that Jesus died for our sins, that he's resurrected, and that he is gone. And it is completely aside from human works. I know for a fact that there are certain religions and, and pastors and, and false prophets that will tell you because you've had a loved one pass away recently, and maybe you feel that that person may be in hell. And they'll come up to you and they'll tell you, well, you know, if you make such and such a donation to the church, God will let him out. God will forgive him. Or if you do this or if you do that, you know, we're, we're planning on doing a new building, a new parking garage. I'm using these as examples, of course. We're going to build a new parking garage and we're... X number of dollars short. But I know that if you would give, God would look very favorable on allowing your your loved one to get out of hell. Friends, that is not true. Do not be conned. Remember that salvation is a free gift of God to man by grace through faith completely aside from human works amen okay let us move on works in the life of a believer are tremendously important but they are to be the result of receiving and appropriating god's grace in the salvation they receive and as the prophet declares, salvation is of the Lord. And Jonah 2.9 Therefore, in every aspect, it is a work of God in behalf of man 
and is in no sense a work of man on behalf of God. Salvation as a saving work of God so completely provides for the believer that the believers are declared complete in Christ and blessed with every spiritual blessings. And those verses can be found in Colossians 2 verse 10 and Ephesians 1 3. A fathomless source of blessings becomes the possession of all believers when they trust in Christ as their Savior. Now the Apostle Paul refers to these blessings as the unfathomable riches of Christ in Ephesians 3 verse 8. Unfathomable, as is the Greek word anesextianos, which means past finding out, unsearchable, not to be tracked down. And the idea is that our blessings in Christ are too deep to be measured. And if we see Appendix A for a list of the believers' unfathomable riches in Christ, I wasn't able to upload it into this podcast because they have a word limit. But if you would like to go to my website, um, you'll be able to find it there. Now, the saving work of God encompasses various aspects which together accomplish salvation, and these include redemption, forgiveness, reconciliation, propitiation, justification, imputation, regeneration, expiation, sanctification, and even glorifications. Again, a lot of uh, a lot of words ending in shin. It is all of this and much more which provides salvation. They make believers qualified for heaven and become children of God. And that can be found in John 1 verses 12, Colossians 1 verses 12, and Ephesians 1 verses 6. Now, as a finished work, let us look at the last words uttered by our Savior just before he died on the cross were, It is finished, quote, unquote. Now, Jesus was not referring to the end of his life or his ministry, but he was referring to the substitutionary sufferings on the cross, which he would complete by his death, which occurred immediately following his shout, It is finished. Quote, unquote. And he was declaring that he had finished the special work of salvation, which the Father had given him to accomplish. And I just want to stop here for a second. And friends, just as a father, man, it would take a lot for me to give one of my sons, knowing what lies ahead, knowing all the beatings that Jesus took for us, all the humiliation, how he went to jail being an innocent man and how he was hung. He was hung on a cross for no reason. 
You think about that and you tell me if that's not love. You know, and it's easy to say, oh, I would, I would definitely send my son. I don't know. I don't know. But you contemplate that. I look at it as what love God the Father had for all of us. And what love does Jesus have? And the Holy Spirit for all of us to be saved. And as we speak of the finished work of Christ, because there is nothing left to be done to provide man's salvation, for God has done it all. In the person and the work of his Son, and he raised him from the dead as the proof that they're of that very fact. The work in Christ, in, the work of God in Christ is once and for all. The work of God is accomplished in the total by the death and in the total by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Christ's death was distinctly a work accomplished for the entire world. And we can find that in verses in John verses 3:16, Hebrews 2:9, and provisionally speaking, it provided redemption. And 1 Timothy 2:6, it also provided reconciliation in 2 Corinthians 5:19, and propitiation, the appeasement or satisfaction of God's holiness in 1 John 2:2. 2, 2. And it's for every person in the world. But friends, salvation is a done proposition. He is proposing that. He's asking. He's, he's proposing that to all of us. What is man's responsibility to accept this faith and faith alone in Christ Jesus? For Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the father if not through me so he points to himself as the only god the finished work of christ includes not only deliverance from penalties of sin but also from the power of sin and faith in christ for salvation means coming to him as a as the source of salvation from every aspect of sin through trusting in his accomplished work in, of Christ and when Christ out it is finished and the greek word that he was using is telelestai telelestai meaning the perfect tense of teleo to complete to finish expressing complete action Completed action while continuing results, with continuing results. Now, he was affirming the fact of the finished nature of what he had accomplished on the cross for the world. Regarding Christ's work as a finished work, Lewis Schaefer wrote the following. The fact that Christ died, died on the cross does not save men in and of itself, but it provides the one and only sufficient ground 
upon which God in full harmony with his perfect holiness is free to save even the chief of sinners. This is the good news which Christians are appointed to proclaim to the world. In all other religions of the world, salvation is a work that man does for God. This is what makes biblical Christianity distinct from all other religions of the world because the Bible, in the Bible, salvation is of the Lord in Jonah 2, chapter 2. It is the work of God for man and Christ's final shot of victory affirmed his true. Remember, Telestai, it's done. Since Christ's work is finished, it should be clear that salvation is not a work of man for God. And when a person comes to Christ, he is acknowledging that he cannot save himself, but has now recognized the work of salvation. God has wrought him and which he accepts as God's gift. Now, salvation originated in God's purposes, not in man's, and is forever delivered from any legalistic approach that would, that would elevate human works as a grounds for salvation. And let us finish this Bible study talking a little bit about eternity. I touched on it a little bit ago. And friends, everyone, everyone that was born into this world, into this earth, will exist eternally. You're either going to exist in heaven or you're going to exist in hell. And if you look at Daniel 12 verses 2 and 3, Matthew 25 and verse 46, and John 5, 28, Revelations 20, verses 14 to 15. And as we've learned in our previous studies, Revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis. And what it means is that God is getting a curtain or a shade and moving it back and allowing us to see what's in that room, what was going on. So he's giving us a partial view. And as a matter of fact, if we look at this, the entire Bible can be called the Apocalypsis of God, the revelation of God. Now, everyone has only one life in which to determine their destiny. And that's found in Hebrews 9.27. And heaven or hell is determined by whether a person, not persons, a person believes. In other words, they put their trust in Christ alone to save them. And that can be found in John 3.16, John 36, and there's many other verses. And that's why I say to you, friends, don't be swindled by fast-talking or false prophets and teachers, whoever they are, that if you give this or if you do that, that your family member's going to be released from hell. 
Number one, how do they know that your family members in hell? How does anybody know that anybody's anywhere? I don't know that. I don't know where my, my, my deceased family members are. You don't know that neither. You can assume. But are you God? Could your family member not have accepted Christ like the thief on the cross just before he died? So, but anyway, I just don't want you to be taken by uh, unscrupulous people that use God and, and prey on your emotions uh, for that reason, because you cannot save them. I cannot save them. A church doesn't save them. When that person comes before the presence of Christ, they are immediately judged. And there's nothing that anybody can do. But let us draw strength in this, my friend. You see, the last part of eternity, the last point of eternity that I read to you said, heaven or hell is determined by whether a person believes puts their trust in Christ alone to save them. And friends, if you've never trusted God to be your Lord and Savior, today's your day. I would like for you to think that, you know how we extend our hands out to shake hands when we see somebody? Well, friends, the Lord's been extending his hand out to you for so many years. And maybe you haven't shook, shook his hands for this reason, that reason, because you were told this, because you were told that. But today again, Jesus stretches his hand to you. And he's asking you to take his hand. He's asking you to allow him to become your Lord and Savior. And he's going to forgive you of all of your sins. Whatever troubles you have, I assure you that he's going to meet you where you are. And you're going to have instant relief. For the Lord has so many people and so many professions willing to help. And he's going to send them your way. He's going to send his angels. So if you would like to pray with me this prayer, Lord Jesus, I come before your throne. I ask you for forgiveness of my sins. And I ask you to this day become my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name. Friends, if you said that prayer, I do believe that you were born again. I encourage you to find a good Bible teaching and preaching church. And I'm going to close out with this, what, what the late John Osteen used to say. Keep Jesus first place in your life, and he will take you places that you never dreamed of. And I would like to thank you for your time and the privilege of being able to share Christ with you. And I will look forward to talking with you tomorrow on our podcast, which is broadcasted at 9 p.m. God bless you and yours today and always. Thank you.